welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. All right. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad to be with you this morning. <clears throat> be able to worship together, share God's word with you. This morning we're back in the book of Genesis. Find your way to uh, Genesis chapter 15. <coughs> Happy Father's Day. All your fathers there. If you have a, a good day, spoil today. And as your, um, your wife will probably say, that's every day's occurrence. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this morning you can see from the, the title, Abram's Faith is Strengthened. And it's something that's true in our lives as believers. We need our faith strengthened. We, uh, we tend to um, go through ups and downs in our faith journey as well. And at times our faith is weak. And we uh, often have doubts and fears about various things uh, that happen. <clears throat> it's just part of uh, being uh, human, I suppose, that um, we, we tend to uh, have fears. Sometimes the fears are not uh, real. They're, they're just imagined. We think about what could happen. What if this and what if that? And, and uh, we, we get worried and have those kind of concerns, but sometimes they are very real. Sometimes there are, there are problems that we're facing, whether it might be a, a health problem, maybe it's our health or maybe a, a loved one's health, and we, and we are inclined to, to fear about, <clears throat> about that, the unknown, the uncertainty. Uh, sometimes it's financial. We uh, Maybe we have lost a job, or we can't get a job, or we are worried about the economy, or we look at the things around us, and it's just so many things that can uh, divert our, our confidence away from the Lord and begin to think about all the what-ifs. Sometimes it's decisions that we need to make, and we, we want to follow the Lord, and we want wisdom, but it seems like we're just not getting um, direction. We, we we don't know what to uh, we don't know what to do and we wait and uh, and so we have these times of um, uncertainty, times of doubting, times of fears, and we see that in Abram's life. We've been studying uh, the series in Genesis, and we've uh, we've been looking at the, this faith journey of Abram. We would uh, later be, be his name be changed to Abraham. And uh, he's uh, come to a, a place here in chapter 15 where he has some doubts and fears. Uh, verse 1 begins in chapter 15 by the Lord admonishing him, Fear not, Abram. And the text doesn't tell us uh, directly what he's afraid of or what's causing him to be maybe troubled and fearful. It could be related to the re recent battle that we looked at in the previous chapter. Um, 
You know, Abram has this victory over these kings of the Mesopotamian area. And uh, he may be thinking, well, what if they come back and retaliate? Which was a very real occurrence and a very real possibility. Abram was somewhat vulnerable. He was there as a, as a nomad in this land that didn't really have a fortress of any kind. Uh, limited protection against um, powers that were greater than his. And so he may have, he may have been thinking about this possibility of, um, you know, what if they come back? It may have been also a bit of an emotional low after, be, after, after having such a, such a victory and a high emotionally. That's a very common thing for us as well, that, that uh, anytime there's this emotional high over whatever, there's this equal emotional low that we, we kind of tend to experience. And you can think about uh, the prophet Elijah after his victory over the, uh, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And, uh, you know, this great victory, great um, experience of faith in the Lord and seeing the Lord uh, um, demonstrate his power in such a great way. And then we see in the next chapter with, the, uh, with Elijah that he's running for his life. He's afraid of Jezebel. And he, and he runs and he, he heads south down into the, the, the desert uh, territory. And we find him there just, you know, emotionally and physically exhausted, and he's just despairing even of life. There's, there's you know, no, there's no use even living any longer. <laughs> uh, and so maybe, maybe Abraham's experiencing some of that. We're not, we're not sure uh, what these are, uh, this fear that to the Lord tells him to not be afraid of, not be afraid about. We know also that Abram has some questions. He's, he has this question, this big problem in his, in his life of not having a son, not having an heir. And it's weighing on his mind. It's weighing on, his, on Sarah's mind as well. And, and no doubt it's a, it's a topic of conversation all the time and uh, trying, to, trying to decide, you know, what, what's the Lord going to do? And he... Uh, He's no doubt thinking about this when he goes to bed, and he's thinking about this problem when he wakes up. You know, what what are we going to do? How's God going to give us a, you know this blessing? How's He going to make a great nation when we don't even have a son? And so he's uh, got this problem, and the Lord comes to him here in chapter fifteen, and He's going to strengthen Abram's faith. And he's going to do some different things to do that. But he begins with this promise of protection and blessing. Notice verse 1. He says, After these things, the word, uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Um, the Lord says that he is a shield to Abram. That must have been very... Uh, very encouraging to him, this, uh, this imagery of the Lord as a shield is something that we see later repeated in the scriptures, and especially David writes about 
this imagery of the Lord many times about being a shield and being his fortress and so forth. David knew something about um, what it means to be afraid. He's for a long time <clears throat> being pursued by King Saul and his soldiers and he, um, he's down in the, uh, the desert places. Notice uh, uh, Psalm 18 <clears throat> verses 1 to 3. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield in the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Uh, another example is in chapter 28, in verse 7, where he writes, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. Well, Abram, he must have been <clears throat> reassured by this um, statement from the Lord in this vision that the Lord gave him that, that the Lord says, I am your shield. But then, it, then the phrase, your reward shall be very great. And that's <clears throat> very much like the promise that he's already received from the Lord about a blessing and a nation and uh, all the way back to uh, chapter 12. And he's repeated this promise. But it, it also, no doubt, brings to Abram's mind this problem that he's been thinking about. This problem of not having an heir. Notice what he says in verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God. And that phrase there is the first time in the scriptures the, the, name, the two names of God brought together. Adonai and Yahweh. And it's... Uh, is, 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 is recognizing that the, the Lord is our Lord. He is our master. And he is a, a sovereign God. And it, it could be translated, oh, sovereign master. And so he's, he's acknowledging who God is and he's trusting God. But he says, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Well, Abram, uh, he's not doubting that God's going to uh, uh, make of him a great nation, but he seems to uh, have given up on the, the thought that he's, he's going to be through his own son, or that he's going to have a son. And, and so he, he says to, to, uh, to God that uh, Eliezer uh, would be his adopted son and heir. And... Uh, this Eliezer that he's speaking of, we don't know exactly who he is. He's probably a, a chief uh, a servant in his household there, someone that would have been highly trusted. And, and so Abram has in his mind that uh, God's going to uh, bring about this um, promise through a, a, an adopted son, which was a, a normal uh, practice in that time. That if you didn't have a son, that you could you could um, adopt someone to <clears throat> receive the inheritance and take care of you in your old age, and that would be their their responsibility. Well, <clears throat> Abram does a a very uh, clever play on the word Damascus here, 
where he, where he says that, uh, it, that um, uh, for I continue childless in the air of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Damascus is, uh, means the son of acquisition or the, or the son of inheritance. And so Abram's using this, um, this name that, or this place from where Eliezer's from and he, in effect, says, the son of the inheritance of my house is Eliezer, the son of inheritance. And so it seems that Abram is taking the fact that Eliezer is from Damascus as a sign. Uh, because his, in, in, the, in the, the meaning of Damascus is related to the, the need he has for a son. It's like the, it, it's like the Latin proverb, Nomen est omen. The, the, the name is the son. And so he's uh, using his play on words. Verse 3, Abram says, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And you can, you can hear in that that Abram has become impatient with waiting. It's been several years now uh, since God promised him. Back in chapter 12, we don't know exactly how long... So, so, <clears throat> It's uh, somewhere close to 10 years. In the next chapter, it'll, be, it'll have been 10 years since uh, the Lord uh, uh, gave, gave him this promise. And so Abram is uh, becoming impatient. He says, And behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be mine heir. Well, it seems that in Abram's mind, he's already figured this out. <laughs> He's already, he's already got a plan. He's solved the problem. And uh, we, we never do that kind of thing, do we? Where we kind of figure it out and, and tell God what our plan is. Uh, instead of just totally depending on the Lord and, and letting the Lord you know, show us His plan, we, we sometimes help the Lord and figure it out and just ask the Lord to put His stamp of approval on our plan. This seems to be what Abram's doing here. Uh, but the Lord answers Abram with an emphatic no. Uh, it, it's, it's like Friek uh, says, no. <laughs> That's the way the Lord answers him here very emphatically in verse 4. And he says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir and he uh, uh, makes it very clear to Abram that that plan is not my plan uh, the the phrase there your very own son is literally the one who comes from your own body and so he's saying this one will not be your heir but the one that comes from your own body and I want you to notice also the phrase that's used there, and also in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to him. That's the first time we see that phrase. And it's going to become a phrase that's used uh, a lot later in the time of the prophets. <clears throat> and uh, here Moses is like a prophet. Later, I think it's in chapter 20, he's actually called a prophet of the Lord. <clears throat> and so the Lord is giving... Abram, uh, things that's going to happen. We'll see later in this chapter. He's revealing to Abram uh, things and he's 
prophesying concerning what's going to happen. And so the word of the Lord, and he's, and he's given a vision. The Lord spoke to his prophets through visions and dreams. And now <clears throat> Abram is, is functioning before the Lord like a prophet. He's receiving the word of the Lord. And these promises that come to Abram, this uh, covenant promises he's given concerning God's plan for uh, Abram to have a son, to, to have a nation, to have a land. And, and these promises are all in preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to come as the God-man. And into this land that the Lord has is, is been promising. And he's going to come and he's going to live and die for us. So that we could have a relationship with the Lord. And become partakers of what will be the new covenant that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus is going to come again. The scriptures tell us. And we are looking forward to this second coming of the Lord. He's going to come this second time in power and glory. His first coming, he was really coming in weakness, didn't he, as a baby. Uh, helpless in, in, in a way, but as, still as God. But when he comes back, there's not going to be any question about his power and his authority. And he's going to come and he's going to be victorious over Satan and his enemies. And he's going to come again into this land that he's talking about. And he's going to establish his earthly kingdom here upon the earth for a thousand years. And so we have the Lord here beginning to reveal uh, some truths to Abraham that's going to be built upon and refined and, and uh, expanded later on. But the Lord reaffirms to Abram this covenant promise. And he, and he also is going to give Abram another object lesson to, to strengthen his faith in verse 5. And notice he says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward, uh, heaven, the, uh, look, uh, toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And I think the Lord must have paused right there and give Abraham time to just look up there at the sky. You can imagine um, on a clear night that he could just see, you know, thousands and thousands of stars. And, and I doubt that Abraham began to count. <laughs> I, think he got the, I think he got the message, you know, right away when he looked up there and he, and he imagined, no, you can't count them. It's just too many. And then after Abraham's had time to let that sink in, the Lord says, so shall your offspring be. And so Abram's his faith is strengthened. He's, he's reminded that God is the Lord. And he's able to do what he says that he's going to do. He, the text, <clears throat> um, as far as we, can, we know, he doesn't say anything. But the text reveals to us that Abram believed the Lord. And then we have in verse 6 this remarkable uh, statement. And he believed the Lord, and he and God counted it to him as righteousness. Now th this is a, a monumental statement uh, for, 
for us. It is, is a foundational truth of how a person uh, comes into a, a relationship with God. Uh, it is the righteousness by faith, or we would, we would say justification by faith. And um, this is uh, really foundational to our understanding of Christianity. And in this area where many go wrong or go off in tangents, this matter of how we are right before God. And the Lord says here that he counted it to him as righteousness. This righteousness that he's talking about here is not Abraham's righteousness. Uh, it's not his deeds or even his faith. It is the, the righteousness of God that's counted to Abraham. Or it's put to his, uh, his account, if we could say. It is a, in the New Testament, we have the word uh, imputed. Uh, it's, it's a banking terminology. It's put to his account. And this is what the scripture means by the word justification. Of halach mocking. Uh, justification is, it, it's, it's a declaration from God. A legal declaration uh, from God by which the sinner who comes to the Lord in faith, believing and trusting in Him, is declared righteous. Now that's, a, that's an important uh, truth for us as believers. Because sometimes we, can, we might know that truth, but we can begin thinking that uh, my relationship to God depends on my righteousness. No, it depends on God's righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith and trust in Him, we have His righteousness put to our account. And so when we stand before God, we are standing not clothed in our righteousness, but clothed in His righteousness. And that's why we can be accepted by God. Because of Him and what he has done for us. And so this righteousness then is often spoken of as an alien righteousness. In other words, it's not our own. It's, it's God's. It's come to us by God or from God. And we are not made righteous, but we are declared righteous. It's put to our account. And in the, in the follow-up time after our tea, I want to I follow up on this idea and talk also about our own righteousness and how it comes into play here. Uh, if, if our standing before God is not because of our righteousness, then, then, then what, uh, what part does our righteousness have in our relationship to the Lord? And so we'll talk about that. We'll look at James 2, Lord willing, and, uh, and maybe answer some questions you may have related to that. But as you think about Abram, he's been a believer now for many years. You're going all the way back to the end of chapter 11 where he leaves the Ur, his homeland. He is, this is not the point where he becomes a believer. But it's where God defines his faith. Uh, and here in chapter 15, is, we see how a believer is related to God. It's his faith is counted or reckoned or or imputed as 
righteousness. And if you don't get anything else from the message this morning, I hope that truth will sink in and that it will be clear in your mind. And I wanted to read some, uh, some, some scripture from the New Testament to help us because this is exactly the same way that we come into a relationship with God, that we're right with God. It is through faith and through our faith in Christ and what He did, what He accomplished, we are counted as righteous before God. Uh, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. And I uh, want to look at some verses there. Chapter 3 and chapter 4. Basically all of chapter 4 deals with this subject. And, and it's kind of centered around the example of Abraham. As Paul is writing to uh, the church there, if you go back in the, in the beginning of Romans, you, you see he's basically uh, the first few chapters showing that we're all guilty before God. He's saying that uh, those that don't know the law, the Gentiles, they're guilty before God. And he turns to the Jewish people who many considered themselves to be righteous because of their their good deeds and all the things that, that they've done and keeping the law and their ceremony and all of those things. And he's going to say to them, you're also sinners. You're also guilty. And he's going to, to come build out of that truth and say, uh, look in verse 21, Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest or revealed apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And so he's saying now, this truth has been revealed that the righteousness doesn't come through the law. In other words, by trying to keep the law, you can't become righteous. And the reason is not that there's a problem with the law. The problem is that there's a problem with us. We can't keep the law. And the law what the law winds up doing is condemning us as sinners. And that's what that is point earlier. And now he says, continue there in verse 20, 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and so through the payment that Christ made, we by faith uh, have this righteousness put to, our, put to our credit, to our account. Now come on down into chapter 4, and he's going to begin using the example of Abraham in our text to make the point. And many of the, in the audience were Jewish uh, people who respected Abraham, and they thought of Abraham as somebody who, if anyone was righteous, it's Abraham. And so he's going to use Abraham as an example. And in verse 1, he, speaking to the Jews, says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? In other words, the uh, going back to Abraham, they're in this lineage. They see Abraham as their 
their, their father and the <clears throat> ancestor. And he says, well, what, what did we gain from Abraham? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. In other words, he's saying, if you work for something, you get paid. It's, what, it's what's due to you. But he's saying that's not how this, this works. Righteousness comes as a gift, not because we work, but because we believe. He goes on, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Skip on down to verse 18, and he's still <clears throat> talking about Abraham. He says, in hope. He, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew, he grew strong in faith and he gave glory to God. In other words, he recognized that it wasn't him that should be, receive honor. It was the Lord. He gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so Abraham put his full trust in God. And that's what we do when we come to faith in Christ. We... we we cast our faith fully upon the Lord and what He has said He will do. We don't come saying, well, Lord, let me help you out. I'll, I'll give my good deeds. I'll do this and I'll trust you. No, we come saying, Lord, I have nothing to offer. I'm a sinner, unworthy. I have no righteousness to bring. And I come depending, fully resting upon you. And that's what Abraham is doing and then it says in the next verse, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And then Paul goes on to say, we're not just talking about Abraham here. He says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It was counted to us who believe in him who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, the Lord gave that revelation there about Abraham and his faith being counted to him as righteousness. It was written also for us so that we would also uh, remember that it is through faith that we have this relationship with the Lord. And then if you go on to Romans 5 verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that your testimony this morning? That you have peace with God because you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the Lord has counted that faith as righteousness. He's put His righteousness to your account because of what Christ has done for you. Have you been justified by faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have this peace that he's talking about, this peace with God? Well, let me just read a verse concerning Paul's own testimony. Paul was, uh, if you, when he was Saul before, the, the Pharisee, he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was uh, considered the, you know, among the elite of the righteous from a human, from a religious standpoint. And all of those things, in the eyes of his uh, contemporaries, you know, Paul was like up here on top. He was, he he had made it to the the pinnacle among their thinking, the educated, the religious. And yet, Paul says in Philippians three verse eight, "Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord." And he's in the previous context. He's talking about all those things that he had that he could you know boast in if he if he wanted to, but he says, I count all of that, all of that is worthless, to, for, and, I, and I've lost all of those things so that I may know Christ. He's not putting trust in any of those works of righteousness of his own. And he's trusting Christ. He says, for, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of mine own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Well, that says it very clear, doesn't it? And I, I trust that, that that's what we as believers are trusting in. This righteousness that comes from God and depends upon faith. And that should free our hearts and minds to serve God in confidence, knowing that we have a, a relationship with Him because we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back to um, go back to our text with Abraham, and and we'll see here that God is going to further strengthen Abraham's faith by ratifying this promise in, in a covenant with Abram. And going from chapter 15, verse 7, down through the end of the chapter. The Lord really gives him a, a dramatic uh, experience here of, a, of the symbolism of a covenant ceremony uh, to help Abraham to really trust in what God is saying. Verse 7 says, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. But then we see Abraham saying, O Lord God, how am I to know that I will possess it? And so Abraham is asking for some assurance here. He's, he says, yes, Lord, I believe, but help me to believe. <laughs> uh, he's, like the, um, he's like the father that, it says to, to Christ, I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> and so Abram is asking for some, some assurance here, some, some help. And the Lord uh, gives him this ceremony and, and binds himself to this promise, this covenant that would uh, assure Abram of its, of its ultimate fulfillment. And so... Abram would most likely have been familiar with this 
this type of ceremony. It was something that um, that you find in writings. <clears throat> Not a lot of detail about it. Later in Jeremiah, there's a there's a reference to this kind of uh, ceremony, but it was it was used to uh, symbolize and, and solemnize this agreement in a in a form of a covenant, and it involved uh, taking these animals and cutting them in two and and laying the the halves over against each other, and then the two parties would walk between these uh, animal halves, this path that was made, and uh, in in that way they would bind themselves to uh, to the agreement, whatever the the agreement or the covenant was, and with the idea that if I fail to uphold my part, let uh, let this fate come upon me. That, is, that has happened to these animals. And so it is in a, a visual way of binding yourself and in, in making your word sure. And, and we actually have this uh, terminology today used sometimes with cutting a deal or cutting a covenant or, or cutting a, a, a promise or, or, some, or a contract, we might say. And so that comes from this... Um, of cutting these animals apart and binding themselves. Notice verse 9 through 11. God uh, gives him instruction to prepare for this uh, ceremony. And he says, And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat and three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all, the, all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the bird in half, or birds in half. Well, I guess if you cut a bird in half, there's not much left there but feathers. But uh, he says, And when the bird of prey came down on the carcasses, Ab Abram drove them away. And so we have Abram the next day, evidently, preparing this uh, ceremony. And then a, a rather disturbing thing happens as Abram is waiting for God to to give further instruction, uh, these birds of prey, like vultures, come down upon these carcasses. And Abram is he's, he's just having to run them off and shoo them off, and he's kept busy uh, trying to keep these birds of prey off of the, off of the carcasses. And, and some have seen in this, uh, this action, this symbolism here, of the enslavement that will happen uh, to Abram's descendants as they are down in Egypt. And it seems as if this covenant is under threat or under danger of, of not coming about as they are there as slaves in the land of Egypt. And we see the Lord, uh, to further reinforce that imagery, the Lord's going to describe to him and actually reveal to him that it, it in fact, is, is going to happen. Notice verse uh, 12. He says, And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, a, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And so there's, there's, you get the idea that this something that is bad is going to happen. It's like a um, dreadful and, and dark. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. 
it's not the good news that Abram was hoping for. I mean, he's wanting his, his faith to be strengthened, and it sounds like the Lord's just giving him bad, bad news. But he says, I will bring judgment upon the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Wow, now that's some revelation, isn't it? The Lord has, has given Abram, I'm sure, more than what he expected to hear. More, more information, no doubt, it's more than he wanted to hear. Uh, think about it. Put, your, put yourself in Abram's uh, place. He, he no doubt was thinking, you know, as the Lord gave him these promises about inheriting this land and having a great nation, he's probably thinking that in his lifetime he's going to, to inherit this land. But now he realizes that it's not only going to, to be a long time from now, he's, he's not going to see it. And in fact, it's his descendants... His offspring are going to go into bondage, into uh, to, to slavery for 400 years. They're going to be in this, in this strange land. And they're going to be under tribulation. But then the Lord says He's going to bring them back. And um, His descendants will possess the land. And this revelation that Abram has received, it's not just for Abram. It's for his descendants that would later be in Egypt during that time, and especially as they come out under the leadership of Moses. There's a lot of parallels here in, this, in what Moses is writing about, and he no doubt has this nation, the people, his descendants, that are getting ready to go back into this land they're, they're receiving this truth. They've no doubt heard about it. It's been passed down. But now Moses is writing it. And um, it was for them to reassure them of God and His faithfulness. Everything that God told Abram is going to happen has happened and is happening in their life. And uh, verse 17 says, And when the sun had gone down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then he lists the ten groups of people there that, uh, that they would uh, dispossess of, their, of this land. And he talks about the, the Kenites and the Kezazites and the Kadamites and the Hittites and the Perzazites and the Rephaim and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gergesites and the Jebusites and all these other ites that uh, they ran out of that uh, territory. Uh, the Lord is defining for them these are real places, real people, and He's going to give that to His descendants. Well, this. Uh, imagery here of the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch these are symbols of the lord himself who comes and and moves through these pieces uh, now normally both parties would go through to to bind themselves to this agreement but god 
has Abram just observing what's, what's happening. And the Lord passes through by himself. And as Hebrews 6.11 says, that he swore by himself since there is no, no greater to swear by. And so the Lord, by this demonstration, is committing himself to this promise, to this covenant. And he is basically telling Abraham that it is going to happen regardless. He is not dependent upon Abram. He's not dependent upon the children of Israel. Now, if Abram and the children of Israel wanted to live in the blessing of this covenant, they needed to obey. They needed to follow God. And when they disobeyed, when they ignored God, they, they, there was judgment that came upon them, problems that came upon them. But in spite of them, God is going to fulfill what He said He's going to do. And... Um, the Lord does the same for us, doesn't He? The Lord has made promises to us of eternity with Him for, the, for those of us that are in Christ. And it's not dependent upon how good a Christian we are. It's not dependent upon how faithful we are. It's not dependent upon how much faith we have. It's dependent upon the Lord to keep His Word. And... The, and that assurance doesn't cause us to say, oh, well, I can just live like I want to now. I'm, I'm, I'm safe. No, that truth in the heart of a genuine believer, it drives us to obedience. It drives us to love the Lord and to want to please Him and want to serve Him. And I believe that's the same thing that happens in the life of Abraham. He becomes, he becomes someone that, uh, that is... Uh, faithful to God, and it also causes him to be strengthened in his faith and to see uh, the things that are seemingly impossible, he believes, as we read about, as Paul writes about him in, there in Romans chapter 4. He did not, he, he did not despair of faith. He, he kept trusting God even when it seemed impossible. And he was also challenged to, to look beyond the temporary, to look beyond the physical land and the, and the promise of the land, and to look to eternity, to look to the Lord and the blessing that would come eternally of being with the Lord. As Hebrew 11, uh, Hebrews 11, 10 says, For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And so we too live in that reality, don't we? We have been giving these blessings and these promises and we can look beyond the, 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 the here and now that we're living in. We have to live in the here and now and we're, we're to obey God in the here and now, but we don't put our trust in the now. We, we put our trust in the Lord and look to that day when we will be with Him. Well, the Lord wants to strengthen us in the same way as He strengthened Abraham. And He's given us His Word, His completed revelation of God's Word. And He speaks to us through His Word and encourages us and challenges us to trust Him. And so the question comes this morning, have you, have you come to the place of repentance and faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you, have you rested your faith fully upon Him for salvation? Are you trusting in your own righteousness to be right with God? Or have you, have you trusted in the Lord and His righteousness that you might be right with Him? And if you are justified, if as your confidence this morning that, that the Lord has declared you righteous because you have put your faith and trust in Him, then your faith will produce the work of righteousness as a fruit of a genuine conversion. And we want to take that thought further in our follow-up time and think about the relationship between our own works, our own righteousness, and what God has done in us by imputing or putting to our account His righteousness. And so may the Lord bless you and strengthen you in His Word. Father, thank You for this challenge from Your Word this morning as we look back into the life of Abraham and what You were doing in his life to encourage and strengthen his faith Lord, we too, like Abraham, are prone to doubts and discouragements and fears. And you know us, Father, and you know we need your help. And you've given us your word and you've put your spirit to live within us. And we thank you, Father, for the blessing that we have of knowing you and having the assurances from your word and having the presence of the Spirit of God to, to encourage us and to lead us and guide us. Lord, may we walk with you in faith, trusting you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.